Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is researching the afterlife. My guest is Robert Bigelow, who is the founder of the Bigelow Institute for Consciousness Studies and also has many other accomplishments under his belt. Robert is visiting me here in Albuquerque. This will be our fourth interview in this series of interviews. Welcome, Robert. Good morning. Thank you. It's good to be with you once nice again. Nice to be here. Thank you, Jeff. I think probably in the mind of the public, you are more closely identified with the question of survival after death than uh, most other people are, and, uh, and, and it may be even more well-known now in that field than in the area of space exploration, which has occupied 20 years of, of your life. What, let's talk about what led to this interest. I think a number of different things. Going back decades, um, I have lost several family members close to me. My father, when I was 18, uh, one night I got a phone call from my mother that he'd been killed in a plane crash. And then uh, one of my two sons, and then uh, my grandson, and uh, my wife of 55 years. And so I, I understand the grief part and the, the difficulties. And uh, aside from the curiosity of what happens to you, the natural curiosity that I think everybody has is what's next, you know, and uh, you can take totally on faith as to what you're told, as to what's going to happen to you and so on. Uh, for me, I've always wanted a little bit more than that. Uh, I, I'm fine. I'm, I'm comfortable with faith, but I like to have the faith and good proof. Mm -hmm. Then I have more faith, yeah. right? Then, uh, so I, I appreciate the value of proof and, and uh, being able to get a consensus of, of logic to it and rationale and uh, and then maybe having uh, personal experiences really help, which I've had, um, my wife had, my family's had, my employees had, um, and the experience that we had with Skinwalker Ranch, um, these kinds of things introduce you to another dimension. And uh, I think my interest goes back in survival to the somewhere in the... Um, Mid '80s, maybe or early early uh, 1980s, and uh, so um, that's I think the genesis of my my curiosity and my interest. Because I know within parapsychology, survival has up until you gave the field a new impetus. It, they sort of steered away from the question of survival. They were content to say it all boils down to psychic abilities, ESP, and so on. The basket of uh, uh, extraordinary uh, perception is, is significant, and it's real. So, uh, whether it's psychometry or clairvoyance, or uh, you know, the, the the basket is is real and dem demonstrable in terms of proof. Uh, starting with the Zener cards of uh, J.B. Ryan. It's worth mentioning parenthetically. You've been on the board of directors of the Ryan Institute. 
I was. I was, yeah. And so, um, but for me, I, I, uh, I think that, you know, there are, everyone knows, of course, the, the three main questions. I, it's not really the two because I think uh, a God force is a third one. So, are we alone? And uh, what happens to you after you, you pass, you die? And uh, you know, a lot of people just believe that's it, or they don't know. They're atheists or agnostics in terms of God or, or whatever is going to happen to you. And then, of course, the third one is, is there a supreme force? Um, and I don't think the word God is actually enough for that force. Um, it's, it's kind of a, a word that is a mankind creation. And, but I don't think it's holistic enough. It's not all-inclusive enough. Uh, when you have something that's truly omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscience, universally encompassing everything, um, and obviously, uh, you know, there's 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 thinking different kinds of thinking about whether we're created in the image of of, uh, of God's image and likeness, or did we create God in our own image and likeness? Which I think is the latter is is what I subscribe to. Because I think mankind is is uh, is responsible for our beliefs, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and men main, mainly uh, uh, have created these these beliefs. And uh, I know that uh, theologians uh, say, well, you know, we're created in the, in, in God's image and likeness. Uh, I don't believe that's true at all. I believe that every living thing. And every uh, material thing, living or not, is an expression of a supreme God force. But we're not chemi- we're not created in His image and likeness. Uh, not like paintings or frescoes would show uh, an old man, muscular man, reaching down as a God, you know, force. Um, so, uh, but we are an expression of of that of a God force. So. Um, I, I decided the when I formed the Institute for for Bix uh, Institute for Consciousness Studies that uh, we would uh, do the contest, and I thought I would start at the foundation, and uh, because uh, if you can get comfortable, if you can really believe that you are more than your container, you survive your container. Um, I like the word container uh, maybe better than body. Um, body is kind of a more sacred kind of thing, kind of a word, uh, you know, a description. But I like container mm-hmm. because we know that containers are temporary. and uh, But we don't, in our lives, really think of ourselves being so temporary, yeah. whether we know what our future is or not, right? I've I've heard people describe it as a meat suit. <laughs> well, I guess if you're, uh, yeah, if they're, you know, you're uh, a butcher or something, that would that would fit. But I I think um, I like the word container. Mm-hmm. The challenge for the starting point is to believe to to get to where you're really comfortable beyond faith, yeah. something more than just what you're told to believe in mm-hmm. by whomever. I don't care whether it's a minister, a priest, or a rabbi. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, or your parents. It doesn't matter. 
um, to me. It, 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 I would like to hear more substantive proof than just take it on, you know, that that's what I'm supposed to. Well, we, we have over 140, 150 years of research into the question of survival after right. death. And, and yet the irony is there are many people in the scientific community, maybe most, who would, would say this is not a question for science. Science cannot address it. Well, it's exactly the opposite. Um, science has a very difficult time addressing it because it's interdimensional. And uh, they're not conversant with that in their physics. Their physics doesn't handle that well. Uh, Heisenberg, you know, uh, experiment aside, uh, that that is just the very, 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 very tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. You know, moving subatomic particles because of your thinking or doing it with a random number generator, uh, that's just the very, very tip of the iceberg. So I started with the foundation <clears throat> in the contest of... Um, not stepping on religion's toes, uh, saying, well, does it? Because they're going to say, well, of course. We've been telling you that for, you know, a couple thousand years now. And um, so um, it, was, it was safe ground to, to instigate a contest. Mm -hmm. But the ground was extremely serious because it was foundational. And that's why I set the criteria <clears throat> as though you're going to a bench trial or a jury trial in the courtroom and saying you must submit evidence. Uh, scripture isn't allowed. You have to have real substantive evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. And you can convict on, on unreasonable doubt, you know, that you, it is beyond a reasonable doubt. You can convict. You don't have to have a hundred percent to convict. So beyond a reasonable doubt is substantial proof. Um, and I thought, well, okay, we'll start there, because if, the, the, to my way of thinking, if you're comfortable with survival of the container, you're going to survive your container, and you're going to say, what am I, what is it of me that's going to survive the container? Well, it's your consciousness, that includes your personality, it includes all your memories, and, um, and, a, and it's actually much more than that because it's the memory of just... And then here's another jump. Um, if you do survive your container, is reincarnation real? Mm -hmm. Okay? You get into these other kinds of ancillary kinds of paths mm -hmm. and other theaters of exploration. Right. And uh, I remember... <clears throat> Many decades ago, a, uh, a lady friend of mine handed me a book on reincarnation. Mm -hmm. And I took it just being polite. Mm -hmm. I had no intentions of reading it. <laughs> you know, I thought, why would I waste my time on that, you know? Uh, and, and I didn't know anything. Mm -hmm. I didn't know any better. And um, later I realized, wow, there's real substance to that. And so in prior interviews, I think I mentioned to you that we had on our Science Advisory Board, Ian Stevenson, yes. and Emily Cook, and uh, Bruce Grayson. Some of the top researchers yeah. in, in the field. And you're talking now about the National Institute of Discovery Science right. that goes back to the 1990s. Right, right. And then we had to make a choice. Mm -hmm. So we, we actually chose the ET. We felt as a group that we could handle that yeah. more easily mm -hmm. than the other part, the other side. The point is that if you can come to grips with enough proof 
that is a not based on just faith based, but uh, then you have the door open to you to the very very tip of an inverted iceberg, you know, or pyramid, um, and so you're at the very very bottom tip of what that entails, because you will eventually lead to cos- cosmology, to to God force or supreme force, whatever we want to call that, and. It changes all the theories, and and they're they and physicists and cosmologists are not uh, they're not comfortable with that. Very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. Yeah. And part of it, I think, they're absolutely uh, hysterical, hysterically afraid of peer pressure beyond what we can imagine, because we are not channeled or handcuffed or conditioned to fear exploration, any direction that you and I want to go. I know that's you, Jeffrey, and that's that's me. Yeah. And and um, so I, I have a hard time trying to understand that kind of pressure, outside pressure to behave and march actually in lockstep with everybody else, only deviating enough to where the peer pressure will tolerate that, mm-hmm. you know. And so the, the amount of deviations are going to be small, very, very small. So that means then we have a lot of folks who know little or nothing about what we're talking about because we have substantial proof that they're not even willing to read or investigate, okay? And so um, so survival of the container is outside of their complete mindset, outside of their math, and they would have to use hand calculations and, and suppositions and context as to try to make the math fit to come up with another theory upon a theory upon a theory, and they're not going to do that, right? So uh, they, they take a whole different approach. And we'll talk about string theory in later, I know. And we'll talk about that much later. Um, so <clears throat> this is truly, the survival topic is absolutely foundational to everything. Absolutely everything. And so that's that's the the uh, the genesis and the and the reason for the contest. It was really successful, um, and we we were thrilled to be able to finally conclude the the publication mm-hmm. of some really nice books, yes. uh, five books in in a set, uh, yes. five volumes in a mm-hmm. set, and um, and so um, people if they will go through those books, they can uh, you know we. Uh, we don't have enough to distribute to everybody by any means, so we're we're trying to struggle with how to get these into people's hands mm-hmm. who are really really serious, and not just going to stick them on a shelf somewhere, uh, and uh, uh, and forget about them. Well, let's talk about the essays. I'm guessing you probably read them all. I have not. Mm-hmm. I've read most. Yeah. I have not read them all. Okay. But yeah, there's over 700,000 words yeah. in there. And uh, I have a day job, too. <laughs> you know, so, uh, and I read a lot of different kinds of literature, different kinds of things on our subject because I'm a student. So I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to understand the, the, his, the historic material mm-hmm. going in the 1800s or 1900s uh, where, especially in the 1800s, uh, experiments were very well done, yeah. and um, so, and I have I'm always on the on the watch for anomalous things that are happening to me or other people, and to talk about these kinds of things, 
And um, those are real gifts. Mm-hmm. If something like that happens, you know, if <clears throat> that that soda can there, um, I named the brand, it's a Dr. Pepper, actually lifted or moved over, that would be very interesting. It would be, and we'd have it on camera. And, and everybody would go through the parochial kinds of explanations, yeah, right? right? Okay. You and I would immediately jump to a category, mm-hmm. right? And we're going to discount wind and earthquakes and all that kind of thing, <laughs> right? So we're going to go to because, you know, we've, we've, we've seen those things. So um, um, because those, those are real gifts if you can have personal demonstrations. Yeah. And I've had, I've had several that really are cool, really cool. And, um, and just impossible in our normal physics. To try to account for it, we mm-hmm. can't. Mm-hmm. We're not nearly there. Right. Not nearly there, you know. So um, it, that's it's an exciting area. I gather that you you set up the Bigelow Institute for Consciousness Studies largely to focus on this question of life after death. That seems to be the central focus. From my perspective, I, I see that there are three kinds of consciousness. There's incarnate, discarnate, and then a third type. And a uh, third type is a supreme consciousness. So the, the incarnate, incarnate consciousness applies to all living things, not just on this planet, but all living things everywhere. And it might be that, that, that mainly, mainly the consciousness at the base, base level is just that something is alive. It really doesn't have any conscious consciousness. It's just alive. You know, maybe it's moss, you know, or some bacterium. It's just alive, that's all. Um, and then you get to various levels, of more sophisticated, uh, beyond that, to where maybe the, the, the next level of, of that's noteworthy in, in incarnate consciousness is whether or not it, it uh, uh, reacts to the three responses to threat or perceived threat. So it can do nothing. It can attack or it can run, mm-hmm. right? But it's not going to have self-awareness. It's, it's, it's not going to be uh, problem-solving or thinking of, of other kinds of things other than eating, you know, and so on. So um, I think then we get to other animals, and so we work our way up to, to the Homo sapien, and, and uh, that's when we can put ourselves into an altered state of consciousness, um, it could be for meditation. It could be for problem solving. Uh, it could be that you're dreaming, uh, and uh, you could receive information in your dreams that could turn out to be very true. Um, uh, you could be in a coma. You could be in an out of body state <clears throat> that is self induced by by having too many centrifuge experiences, as we talked about in a previous interview. Mm-hmm. Um, where then you have an out-of-body experience as a member of our board did as an Air Force general. Mm-hmm. And he had had 12 that day, 12 uh, centrifuge uh, uh, experiences and, uh, or, or trials. And um, so we have the, these different kinds of consciousness within the incarnate. And I think we have, a, with among a few... People, well, I think I think Bob John and Brenda Dunn proved that the general public can cause deviations on a random event generator uh, uh, on subatomic particles, electrons over a static line. Yes. 
Um, and so then you get into more sophisticated, like Ingo Swan and Joe McMonagall and, and Pat Price and other, Hella Hammond and other fantastic. Uh, I had the pleasure of, of hiring uh, Joe McMonagall a couple times just mm -hmm. for my own, my own sake. Uh, fantastic remote viewers and uh, other, then they had other psychic qualities. So these are, these are white crows among our own population because they don't fit the norm, right? They don't fit the norm. Um, so we have those among the incarnate community. The discarnate community, again, you have to believe we're more than our container, right? And that's where the contest came in to, to validate that hypothesis. So um, the discarnate is much, much, much more substantial. Um, we're aware of what goes on by virtue of our 120-degree eyesight and hearing and that kind of thing. The other side is very totally holistic, 360 degrees in all directions. Not only that, they can bifurcate that awareness. They can be at more places than, than at the same time than one place. They have enormous ability to come to our dimension as a discarnate and have a physical effect on a material object or um, a, uh, a bio object, a, a living thing, a human being. They can have a tremendous effect of moving a physical object in all different kinds of ways, very heavy objects, causing them to reconstitute themselves, which sounds ridiculous. Um, I've had that happen. Can you explain that a little? Well, maybe later. Okay. Maybe later. <laughs> I'll lose my concentration here. Okay. My consciousness is going to fade. Well, keep going. All right. Okay. So, so it is so absolutely fan fascinating, fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, what the discarnate spirits can do. Um, and by the way, any, any human transcending from incarnate to discarnate has a spirit. The soul is a companion to that, but the soul is a characteristic. The soul is the character of the spirit. And, um, and kind of describes the integrity and the morals and the love or hate that the spirit has. Mm -hmm. And when you do transcend, just as a sidebar, when you do transcend over, at that point, that very point in time, you take all the baggage with you that you have mm -hmm. from this past lifetime. Let's not get into prior incarnations, reincarnation. That's another really interesting topic. But so you are, you are just, you have all the, the good, bad, and the ugly <clears throat> at that moment. You don't, you're not an angel, right? right. And right then, that's something, uh, your, your evolution is something that has to be earned. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the, the characteristic of the, of the discarnate spirit is so different than ours, so much more powerful. 
um, it can influence us subconsciously. Uh, we think that everything we invent, uh, my 29 patents, I'll take credit for. No. You know, I had help on probably everything I've ever done in my life. You know, I've had, I've had help from the other side. Uh, not just staff and people working for me, uh, because you can't build companies all by yourself that, that amount to much without having other people help you as staff, right? You have to have that and be the engineers or scientists or whatever. But um, I probably had more help from the other side than I'll ever know because I really suspect I have in different ways. And I think everybody has intuition, intuitional help, which is not the kind of just inventing something or problem solving, right? Mm -hmm. So we've all had <clears throat> gone, to, gone to sleep with difficult problems and then we wake up during the night or in the morning with the solutions. Right, or you're taking a shower and you're trying to get into a different state of mind where you are at that, and you're calming down, and then, then the answers come to you. But um, the 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 intuition, you always we start out ignoring it, and then after a period of years, um, you're you're doubting it, and then after a period of years, you start to pay attention to it and act upon it because you realize 90% of the friggin' time is right. If you'd have just done what your intuition told you to do and you didn't have anything else as evidence to do it, and you say, oh, I just chalk it up to my common sense. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good, but uh, so and then the next level is doing uh, responding reflex-wise, just reflexively paying attention and following your intuition. And um, so, so the other side can do all kinds of things to influence how we behave. Um, and uh, the most valuable thing though, that the research says uh, is uh, to acquire love as you progress. That is the most universal, uh, valuable thing there is. And when you start to think about it, you really start to come to that same conclusion in all different ways. Whether, you know, for all kinds of reasons, uh, you come to that same kind of conclusion. Um, it's difficult to embody that in our container, the way that we're designed, the way we think, the reptilian brainstem, and all of that sort of thing. And, um, you know, the human species is men, not so much women, but our gender, have caused a hell of a lot of trouble on this planet. Uh, 98, 99% of all the crap that's happened mm -hmm. has been because of men, yeah. right? So we have had a terrible time uh, learning to express that, that, that uh, behavior, that, that attitude of love. Terrible time. And we're embarking on something new that tries to give us a clue as is there going to be enough time? But because we have a, a dichotomy problem and I'll deviate just for a minute. Um, and I started worrying about this 25 or more years ago that we we have basically a flat line on a, on if you had a, a two line graph and uh 
and you were, had a chronology along the bottom of the graph, and as the years are going along, what's the progress of the spirituality of the human race? Mm-hmm. How has it been peaking, going up and down, and so on and so forth? And I guess start wherever you want to start. Maybe start 150 years ago or whatever. Um, and so we're bumping, bumping along the bottom, you know, <clears throat> like uh, somebody's lure that's not on fishing anymore. They're bumping on the... There seem to be waves of interest that come and then yeah. subside. Yeah. So I could call this the Klingon graph because the other line is our, our technological prowess. And it started to really go and climb and climb and climb and then go vertical. And I think maybe we, we mentioned in a prior interview that then it goes hypersonic. It starts to jump. So you have a rather inept species, not spiritual that much, right, as a whole, and especially half of it, half the, the, the one of the two genders, especially that one. <laughs> and so, and you have this huge ability now to, to raise hell, technologically. More than ever before in human history. Yes, yes. So, um, where does that, what's the end game? Where does that lead? Mm-hmm. Uh, because we have free will. And by the way, this as an incarnate, and the discarnate also has free will. Discarnate spirits can make choices as to <clears throat> the environment and what they want to be in and how they want to think. And spirits of a feather flock together and all that. So, we, so, we make all those same choices here, and for better or worse. And um, so that free will can really get us into trouble. Being the nature of humans that we are and our gender, um, the male will be the cause, I predict, because of the odds. Since I'm from Las Vegas, I believe in <laughs> that there's some value in odds. And I think that, you know, if, we, if there is a, a, a time where our technology really, really gets us in a horrible situation. There, there are certainly plenty of very serious thinkers who say that the human race is, is heading uh, right towards extinction. We have a current program that was a successor to the contest. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I thought, well, we'll I'm going to jump us a little bit because we started you know, at ground zero, at the foundation with the contest. And uh, so, and, and I did it not because of my belief system, because I already have a belief system. Mm-hmm. But I did it to see what kind of proof and evidence would be acquired. Mm-hmm. And so, the challenge is of a different order of magnitude. Um, the, the challenge is uh, an effort to involve a, an acquisition of information from the other side um, that proves or disproves what our, what information Bix already has from multiple kinds of sources um, as to the disposition of the human race in time coming. Um, It's a pessimistic view that we have 
relative to the, the data that are telling us what we see. Um, I'm hoping we're wrong. Mm -hmm. and um, But I'm, I'm hoping that the data are, are substantial in the way that we're trying to acquire it to tell us we're wrong. Because we're going to do devil's advocacy on the data that, that's coming from the sources that are that we are that we are out there trying to gather. If I understand what you're saying, it's basically like the data that is coming into you from multiple sources leads you to have a pessimistic outlook on the future of yeah. humanity, yeah. and you're looking for some way that we might be able to change that um, apparent destiny. I don't think that's an achievable goal for me. Okay. I think I'm an explorer, mm -hmm. a researcher, um, and uh, I think uh, that problem is gigantic. It's huge. Because it's coming at us from many angles. Yeah. It's probably already written on the wind one way or another, and it's going to happen. And there's little or nothing we can do about it. Part of that is a function of nobody's going to listen anyway, you know. And uh, so who are we talking to, right? So, so we'll, we'll know maybe we'll have more information than the average person on the street is going to have, right? And maybe that will give us some ability to have some comfort in our thought process of thinking about uh, not just our container has a clock ticking, but from normal biological disintegration or whatever, or an accident or something coming along, but but from a standpoint that things are really going to be bad, and how do you prepare yourself for that and those that you love and care for, or friends? How do you prepare for any of that, right? So that's probably the best that we can do. Well, I hear that a lot of wealthy individuals are buying private islands and uh, with the idea that even if there is a great global catastrophe, they'll find a way to survive. I, I think you have a much larger vision than that. You're not looking for your own personal survival right now. We know we're not going to survive our container because nobody has. So regardless of how many islands you have, Islands in the stream or islands in the sky, it doesn't matter, right? Because you're not going to survive your container regardless of how wealthy you are or how poor you are or anything. It doesn't matter. You're not going to survive your container. So the bigger, it's the bigger picture that matters. Has all this struggle been for nothing since Lucy, you know, a million and a half years ago? Is that all there is? Is that is this it, that it's all going to end? Mm -hmm. Now, it probably doesn't have to be a complete total annihilation of some kind. So there could be definitely pockets of humans that, are, that do survive in some way by stroke of luck or ingenuity for a point in time until their container expires, mm -hmm. right? And um, cryogenics aside, that doesn't... That, you know, that's not survive. That's not keeping the container just because your your head continues or your brain is happened. No, that doesn't. That doesn't quite. That isn't quite it. So, um, 
So anyway, <clears throat> we're hoping to get information that uh, gives us some encouragement that we're wrong, that all of the other sources that we have are wrong. And uh, that's what I'm hoping for. I'm a little confused because we began by saying we do survive the death of our container. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So now that's, that's actually the point. Mm -hmm. That really is the point. So I'm talking about all the containers surviving. Yeah. Okay. So we're talking about a, a, uh, a point of extinction or something or an mm -hmm. event yeah. or a series of events mm -hmm. that are, that are man-induced, yeah. uh, human-induced, that aren't natural events, and that um, and that we uh, and the containers are going to suffer. Mm -hmm. But the good, there is good news, and you, your point is absolutely spot on. And that is the whole point is is that we are more than our containers. Yeah. And the point is is that your 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 spirit and your soul, whatever the soul characteristics are, does continue. Mm -hmm. And if the soul characteristics are are poor in the sense of ethics and disposition toward fellow souls and spirits or fellow men and on this side, then um, you have to outgrow that eventually or you'll stay in and in in not progress in a better environment. Um, and we can talk about nature of heaven and hell later, according to research and so forth. But nevertheless, so the, the point is, yeah, you, uh, so that's the good news. When you're talking about something, a, a huge topic most people can't begin to wrap their minds around, the potential extinction of our species, that that's something very few people want to uh, address it all, but I imagine if we're looking at this from the very large picture, the, the picture that would tell us there are billions of planets in the universe, much like the Earth, that could sustain life, there, of those planets are probably millions of civilizations of conscious sentient beings like human beings, and, and I'm going to say the probability is offhand, maybe 50% of them are going to go extinct and another 50% of them might survive. And it would be interesting to learn what were the differences there and, and what are the possibilities for survival of sentient species. I, I know some astronomers think, for example, because they haven't been able to detect radio signals from other planets to to prove that there's uh, intelligent life out there. They're, they're suggesting that once a species becomes sentient and, and, and intelligent enough to build radios, then their, their lifespan after that's going to be very short. They'll go extinct. And that's why we don't hear any of their radio signals. Yeah, there's, there's, there are different kinds of views on that. And it could be that there's a screen that's, that's established so that, you know, if, if we are so threatening to ourselves, and that's the Klingon thing that we could be, we're threatening to any other living, other living body, right? That uh, we happen to trip over on some other planet. So the, it's 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 really not just handy. It's super wonderful. We have the distances that we do between solar systems. You know, four light years to our nearest one. So um, so we we uh, 
so those, those spatial dimensions are, are protective, but the, so there could be a screen, there could be an annihilation, uh, it, it could be that those signals um, cannot propagate forever, because, and my, my philosophy on, on the universe is, is different than, than the, the usual uh, cosmologist or, or uh, uh, physicist, I, I, uh, and I think I can back my view up where I don't get into, I can't back up string theory. Yeah. I, if I'm trying to prosecute that to a court, I can't. It's too manufactured. I can't do it. It's too illegitimate. I can't possibly do it. You know, so, but I can, and another, I can support a different, whole different kind of theory that's much more elegant, very simple by comparison. But so, so I think that, um, and I, I respect SETI as effort because you have to try. <clears throat> I was, I was approached one time to supply funding mm-hmm. for that and I turned it down. Um, and I, I respect Paul Allen for, for helping and the, and the VLA, the very large array that, that was put up and, and, and that, those efforts, those are commendable efforts to at least try. Mm-hmm. Right? And, um, uh, I, I think the wow figure is in the artificiality of string theory as the big wow, not the signal that they got to me. You view the universe as infinite, and and I would have to think that you probably also view what you've called the God force as as infinite, and and if I could take it a step further, would you say that we partake of that same infinity within ourselves? So the biggest grunt starting this path, going down this path is is that having to come to grips <clears throat> that you are going to you're going to survive your container like we keep saying that is like 95% of the grunt of of getting to an open door is just <clears throat> coming to grips with that the having to get enough evidence that's not faith based but, you know, you have more. You can have more faith if you have more evidence of it, right? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Um, you weren't created with the capacities that you have to prevent you from speculating on all kinds of things, wanting to have more evidence, not taking things on just pure conversation or some kind of historic record that could be or not be in doubt, or to question that you have the ability to create medicines and to serve and to help your your container survive and that for some reason it was god's intention that you only access prayer prayer works there's double blind studies that have definitely uh, proved that and larry dossie knows that better than anybody and yes. all the work that he's done mm-hmm. um and and so <clears throat> but there's no nothing wrong with also uh, the logic that you are endowed with the capacity to help yourself live and survive mm-hmm. like any other animal, right? You're just a little higher animal. And so we're, we're endowed with that capacity to help save ourselves, help our container any way that we can. That's not an opposition to, to what a supreme God force would, would say is not, you're not entitled to. Why would you be created in the first place? Is what it gets down to, yeah. and so we are all material, immaterial things are expressions of that force. 
But you have to start in the foundation of saying your container survives, and then you get into, okay, if you look at the literature and the research, they're incarnate and discarnate entities. And then if you have, it gets into the consciousness scope of consciousness and trying to say, what is the limit of consciousness? Now, we can try to answer that for ourselves, for our container. We can try to answer that according to the research of a discarnate spirit, okay? Because a discarnate spirit, without banding together with thousands or millions or billions more, has a limited ability, okay? Way beyond ours in this, in this dimension as an incarnate, way beyond ours. It has an ability that you, it is amazing, absolutely amazing. Uh, <clears throat> so... So you, you start to expand that and you realize that um, if you have um, no other way, and the Doppler effect is irrelevant on trying to expand an expansion universe and saying, and, and it's like saying, well, our, our universe is 13.8 billion light years in, 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 in radius because that's as far in the caves as we can see. And now with Webb, we can see 33 billion light years, yeah. and that's as far as the universe exists because that's as far as we can see. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, uh, and it isn't, it isn't going to stop on that problem, right? <clears throat> so, um, and then, oh, by the way, you're going to tell me all about the universe because, and, and you only know 5%. And that, and that everything that we see is only 5% of all the energy. Now, you're referring to dark matter and dark energy now. Yes. Yes. And every physicist agrees. They don't know what it is. Well, what if it's something really simple? If, it, if, if discarnate entities, just here on Earth, we have 8 billion people or so at the moment. The literature says... Maybe throughout entire history, and I, I, I don't know about the calculus, uh, the accuracy of this math, because the number is so huge, mm -hmm. I don't understand it as to, as to how many earthlings have, could have died to this number. But the literature says it's 100 friggin' billion mm -hmm. have died mm -hmm. on this planet. Uh, so let's just take that as an a, a, a assumption. Okay. We won't swear to it. Let's just take that as an assumption. Mm -hmm. And that's just on this planet. I think we can safely say that in in the future, as more as as the eight billion people who are alive now pass away, that that number of, of deceased people will keep growing. Oh yeah. So that means that if a single spirit has an enormous power of consciousness, and I've I've seen evidence of it myself. Um, and I have people working for me that almost lost their lives because of it. Doesn't get much more serious than that. So how much do you want to multiply that? So if 100 billion have already passed over on just this planet, um, and even the parochial thinkers prior to Webb Telescope uh, thought that we were between 200 to 400 
billion galaxies, and there might be 200 to 400 billion solar systems in each galaxy. And so your number of planets are in the <laughs> trillions, trillions, and you have a huge, the Drake equations is going to tell you, you have a huge factor of intelligent life, if we call ourselves that, um, you know, is enormous. That should be out there. It's mind-boggling as to how much just incarnate and discarnate entities mm -hmm. there are, and especially discarnates, yeah. okay, because we're looking at the passed over force. Yeah. If we were to include sentient beings from other planets, undoubtedly we're talking trillions. How is this? Follow, follow this along for a minute with me. How about trying this on for size? Let's suppose all of that scale, which is, 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 is just 5% of God's expression or a supreme omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscience, Something. The visible universe. Is, and, and only it's only that to us is that visible, out to 33 billion light years. Um, there's only 5%. What if that other 95% is consciousness? What if it's a force that provides order? What if it's the force that helps to provide order in galaxies not extinguishing themselves, yeah. not getting into chaos, chaotic behavior over billions of years, they start to lose the equilibrium mm -hmm. and they start to, to uh, lose order. Mm -hmm. And so dark energy and dark manager, matter would be uh, one of the factors of a supreme, supreme force. It's 19 times the power of everything else. We know that. Mm -hmm. Of all material objects that we can detect, yeah. it's 19 times stronger. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, 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 the thing is, well, if, it's, if it is consciousness, and, and you have, in the, in the research, the, the reason, the piece that's kind of missing in here is that there's an evolutionary process on the other side, mm -hmm. for every spirit, for every soul, for all these trillions, is that you get to a higher and higher order of spirituality. Mm -hmm. You're not bumping along on our graph. Yeah. You're actually making progress over time. Mm -hmm. And the time for every spirit is different because every spirit has free will. Mm -hmm. We have free will. So it can muck up things. It can muck up the pace and the time frame it takes, right? So it's going to be all different. And so, but there are strata, okay? There are many subset strata within, apparently, the, according to the research, seven major strata. And when you start to get to the, to the end of the six of the seven strata, the spirit no longer has much of a, of a, recollection or a continuity or a, a contact with being human that was once a human being. Far removed from our level. Far, far, far removed from all of any incarnations that ever had. Mm -hmm. And so it now is, it, was, it transcended as thought to begin with, again, which is this big jump. We're going from a container to existing as thought. Mm -hmm. Without a container, 
This is a big, huge, friggin' jump. It's the biggest jump I think there is. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you, all things become much more clear. Yeah. You have this enormous evolution. To where? To what? Will you be or be now being since you were an expression of uh, a super force as an incarnate? You now become part, much more part of that super godlike force. Okay, and so now you are uh, able to be in more communion mm -hmm. with that kind of a force, if you will. I'll, you know, I'll use Whitley Strieber's word there that was made so famous. Um, but you have a, a type of communion that's completely different than you had even as a lower discarnate, mm -hmm. much less an incarnate. I can't wait to get to the crap table. <laughs> right. Okay. So, and I'm not a, I'm not a, that kind of gambler. But um, so, why isn't it logical to try to say, you know, if you want to plug in a factor of a God force into an equation for everything, mm -hmm. it works. But that's that's not really important. It's not important because you're trying to say, well, how did the universe begin? And I don't think it ever began. It ever began. I don't think there was ever a beginning, mm -hmm. okay? And there's no end. And we know that there's no time or space if you don't have material objects involved. It doesn't exist. So there was no beginning. The Doppler effect is a little confusing because we're used to explosions as male. You know, we, we graduate from firecrackers to hydrogen bombs, right? And for people who may not know, the Doppler effect, as I understand it, suggests that the, the galaxies that are further away from us are moving faster and faster. Why couldn't that be a function of elasticity and control of dark energy and dark matter? I wish they would come up with some other words, something that says maybe it's the control of we don't know. Mm -hmm. So we don't know. It's 95%. We don't know. And uh, so we don't know actually provides harmony. And, uh, and it provides perpetual uh, process mm -hmm. of neighborhood expansion and contraction. Neighborhoods, maybe they're 50 billion light years. Maybe they're 150 billion light years mm -hmm. in size. And so the order of things, you have, you reach maximum, maximum elasticity, mm -hmm. and then you reach maximum density. Yeah. And it like breathes mm -hmm. out and in, out and in. Mm -hmm. It's breathing constantly, and it always has. Yeah. So you have the nurseries still birthing solar systems, you know, uh, in, in galaxies, and, uh, the, and uh, those, that's still going on. That's not in Congress with, with this philosophy or this approach and, and view of the universe, creation. It's in harmony. It seems consistent with, amongst other things, Hindu cosmology. And, and many people have tried to say Hindu cosmology. I think Carl Sagan went so far as to say it's very consistent with what we know about scientific cosmology. Well, I think Michio Kaku says his parents were Buddhist and Presbyterian. Mm. And the Buddha said, the universe always was. There, there's, it, it never 
that never began. It always existed, you know. And the Presbyterian was, no, God created earth in seven days, or six days and rested on the seventh, you know. Um, but so you have two very opposing you do. philosophies. You do. So, uh, but I, I really think that that my theory is just as, as equitable, mm -hmm. uh, much more elegant than any other type of string, string theory because I can't defend the string theory. Where you start to look at it and, and look at the defects, whereas I can go, all, I can take a thread and go all the way down from my theory of what dark energy and dark matter, matter might be is, is supreme, supreme consciousness. Yeah. And that's universal, by the way. So it's, it's, uh, it, it, there is no ending. We have a hard time thinking about something that has no beginning and no ending because everything we know that we touch, that we see, right. has an ending. Everything is impermanent in the physical world. Everything is, yeah. and everything had a beginning. I can defend it because I can trace it back down to discarnate entities mm -hmm. and funnel all of that down in terms of enormous populace just in our little ball, our little planet. Yeah. You know, tremendous power. And, um, and then, you know, having my man almost killed by just one that was called away at the last second, you know, so... That was that was that was that was really a serious thing. Well, I'm sorry, you just lost. Me. Well, I, I told you that you know there, there's there's harm that can come. Yes. Okay, and so um, one was in the process of being smothered to death, and the other one was oh. in the process of being strangled. You're, now you're talking about uh, without names. Yes. No names. I, 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 you're talking about people you know, and I know what you're talking about. Right, right. If you can, if you can present to the court that you can, you can defend this, and then, oh, by the way, you get back down to, to the foundational thing is, do you survive your container? You're back down, back to square one. Right. Do you survive your container and prove it to me? And, and uh, to, for me, the big question is, so what if you survive, then what? The research says that then what is, as you are in the process of, of passing over, you may have deathbed visions. Mm -hmm. So it can start there, that you are having deathbed visions. Or it could be a near-death experience, and it was agreed that you not come back. So there are different ways in terms of passing over. Um, and so the then what is an acclamation. You're acclimatizing. Your 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 soul and spirit is having to acclimatize to a really different uh, scenery and, and position that you're in. The research says, uh, and I have to keep saying it that way because it's also my opinion, but that doesn't mean anything. It, it's it's that you can back up research that's well done, really well done. You're not into a perpetual purgatory. You have free will on both sides. You have the free will to change your thinking, to change the way your spirit thinks and the way your spirit behaves. You have to desire that. You have to get to where you want that. You are tired of a... Of a um, a darker, gloomier kind of existence where you are, 
and you're going to be with others that are similar, and you start to get fed up with it. Mm-hmm. And you start to say, is, that, is this all there is? You want something better. Not just more, you want something better. And the minute you start to start to think that way, other better equipped thinking spirits are there to help you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that is the progress that you're in for, or lack thereof, until you get that change of attitude and feeling to where you want to start to, to feel better to your fellow spirits, you know, and change the behavior that you had as a human. But that process also seems very similar to life here on Earth. It, it has a lot of similarities because we can make choices. Mm-hmm. So we have the ability to, is the cup half full or half empty? And so we have the ability to be more optimistic or are we pessimistic? I think of myself as an optimist. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to be a practical realist, though, because uh, you don't exist in a vacuum. You, you, are, you are existing with other fellow human creatures, right? Which is difficult uh, because it's challenging all the time. It seems to me in that regard, the early stages, at least of the afterlife, are relatively similar to, to life here and now in, in the physical plane. In terms of there'll be challenges, there will be guides to help. There'll be the, the question of uh, finding your way, navigating through what could be a, a bit of a chaotic circumstance. Except that the other side has a huge advantage over us in being able to change your viewpoint. In that once you could start to see a little light, let's just use that, that word, uh, from a dreary kind of location, but you're not in you're not in a hellfire, you know, burning up kind of thing, and the devil and so forth. It's bad humans are the devils on, on the other side, you know. Bad spirits are the devils in a lot of ways, um, but once that change, it starts to be desirable. And you can see a glimmer of, of, of light in the darkness. Uh, the other side has the ability to make holy cow visions, holy cow changes that you, that you will see. Mm-hmm. And that's what the research <clears throat> indicates. Okay. Really, real, really reliable mm-hmm. sources. Um, we can't do that on this side. And we can't create a vision, something you can, you can touch and feel, like the other side can, that you can actually walk through, you can touch and feel and see and hear, all a, a complete new environment, mm-hmm. all right? And it can be in baby steps, just a little bit, you know, micro bits at a time as to the amount that you can take, mm-hmm. how much can you take at a time. Um, so even Alexander went into a very different, interesting, interesting near-death experience location, but eventually he came up. He progressed. Yes. He progressed out of that, and he progressed because he was already the frame of mind he wanted to. Mm-hmm. So once you get to that frame of mind that you want to, 
Now you're on a you're on a path. He started out with what he called the worm's eye view, yeah, and exactly. and then moved up through various levels to he he felt he was in communion with the God force. Yes, yes, yeah. So he was very rapid in that acceleration, and so another spirit may be much less rapid. Mm-hmm. It could take a long time to do that, but we can't create those kinds of of a metamorphosis that the other side can. We don't have that that kind of ability because you, essentially it's unlimited because thought is unlimited. We're constrained by all kinds of physicality, by by thoughts that we have, whether to in, invent different kinds of things. There's there's impractical things. Practical becomes impractical because of the physical problems of things that we can dream up. So we, even though we can dream up a lot of things. We can't create on this side what the other side can not only think about, but actually create. And you're speaking as a person who has invented quite a bit and created quite a bit here in the physical world. It's fun. It is. It is fun. I mean, I'm not sure we know the outer limits of what we can do here. The the mystics are certainly saying that all of those things that are capable uh, on the other side uh, for us to do are um, available to us at least in a limited way now because our consciousness even while we're in the body still partakes of these other realms. You want to talk about AI? Yes, let's talk about AI. Okay. This is fun. Yeah. Okay. So AI is a serious very serious topic. Yes. Right? Um and it's, it's one of those kinds of things that can change human society for better or worse. Yeah. Okay. And probably we'll do both. Probably. To various degrees, in pockets or other things. But the good, there's good news. Mm-hmm. There's a key word. AI is artist, artificial intelligence. So artificial is the key word. Let's suppose you can create artificial consciousness. Okay? So you have total self-awareness. You may have the ability to love and to hate. You may be anthropomorphic in a in a beautiful here's this beautiful woman here, figure. And golly. She, she not only just looks good, she is so intelligent, she is so loving and everything. She's just, just perfect, right? And she's self-aware. And she, she knows she's beautiful and she's perfect. And she knows that. <clears throat> Everything's been programmed into that. So she knows everything that's been programmed into her. And um, maybe she is plugged in to uh, a thousand quantum supercomputers, but she's she's she is not uh, uh, biological. Mm-hmm. Let's just uh, let's just take that particular premise that she she doesn't <clears throat> she is, and if you want to make her biological, that's okay too, because the di- biological aspects will decay mm-hmm. and will have to be replaced. And also, material objects will have to eventually be replaced. She'll have to be, uh, have cosmetic surgery. Mm. 
mm-hmm. or time. But she's artificial. She can be killed. Mm-hmm. How? Blow her up with a bomb. You can get rid of all of the systems that supply your energy. Okay. But more than that, she has artificial consciousness, and none of that consciousness is going to survive her container. She has no soul, and she has no spirit. She is not a, an expression of the God force in terms of soul and spirit. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have a consciousness that is going to survive her container's death. Whether you blow her up, you unplug everything that supplies her with any power whatsoever, she is artificial by definition. She's not a real human being. And one of the distinguishing features of a real human being is that we have a soul and a spirit. And that is what survives the container. I, I would tend to agree with you, but at the same time I say it's hard to be certain. You know, you see all these science fiction accounts like Data on Star Trek who, who has, would seem to have a, a soul that it might be possible for all I know that uh, at some point they build a machine that is more complex than the human brain and could incorporate a, a real soul. So then you get into, does, would the machine have to be more biological machine, machine so that it actually can have aspects of reproducing itself? And that gets you closer to starting to be comfortable with, well, could that create a soul and a spirit? I don't think it works that way. I, I would tend to agree with you. I, I just I think I, wonder if we really are capable of answering the question fully. A, a hundred years from now or a thousand years from now, things might look different. Right. And, and so you, can have, you could have imperfections in programming and, and imperfections in the people who are, who are, so that could be accidental mistakes and imperfections in people, people's motivations for why they're programming. So you can have all kinds of <clears throat> inferior kinds of very, very, very advanced uh, 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 AI mm-hmm. instruments. Sure. Okay. <clears throat> um, and, I, and we're already about there. We're already there. Close. We're already. We're very, we're very close. I have a thousand videos on YouTube. Somebody could take AI and and digest all those videos and come up with a simulation of me that would be close. I think if that we take that thread and let's continue the climb. Yeah. Okay. My premise is AI has artificial consciousness. It doesn't have a real soul. It doesn't have spirit. It's not capable of reincarnation mm-hmm. because it, it, the soul and spirit cannot reinc- could not have reincarnated in the past. Yeah. It only existed as of a certain date of the, on the clock. Yeah. It existed, yeah. you know, in somebody's shop, in somebody's factory, and components were pulled together and turned on, and that's when it existed. So it had a definite birth without any history of in prior incarnation whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So that really is one important feature of separating human beings from artificial intelligence. That's missing. That's missing. Yeah. Now, that's an important threat because if you were to argue that AI would have 
uh, there's two ways to argue that either it somehow how is it how is is AI creating other artificial systems mm-hmm. instead of humans creating them? Humans no longer doing the the work and everything. They're all doing it. Yeah. Okay, they're all doing everything. And um, uh, how are they going to eventually acquire spirit and soul? It's a mystery. We <laughs> we, we don't even know how we've done it. Well, yeah, we know a lot more though yeah. than how we create machines that are going to produce a soul and a spirit. Okay, that's a much more sophisticated problem. I would submit this to the jury. It is illogical for a supreme force, God force, to have created an universe that had no beginning and had no end and uh, who has continuity and harmony overall I'm uh, quasars aside and, and black holes and everything else. Okay, those are just components of, of everything. But basically, it's harmonious. It's very, it's illogical that the universe would have survived something that uh, that that took was able to take a completely separate path, other than for the progression of soul and spirit through free will process that human beings have on both sides and being able to progress up. But the other path is very dangerous because it's you, you take the chance of rogue things happening. Okay? So I suspect that that is a limited path. That is a limited, it has a limit. I suspect something else. I think that all ETs serve the God force. Mm-hmm. Serve a supreme force. That they have soul. All, all, I think, <clears throat> so long as they are biological systems mm-hmm. and not manufactured on a specific date kind of, kind of thing um, in a way that um, I, have a, I have a hard time coming to grips <clears throat> with an orchestrated path of evolution for them with spirit and soul where love is the demanding feature of existence. And the literature is replete with that. I don't mean just a little bit. I mean humongous. You know, so the research says in spades, if anything is key, it's that. Love. So how do you, how do you have reliably machinery that is going to be forever and ever and ever? That, as its sole purpose for existence. The, the danger, it seems to me, with artificial intelligence is we may build systems of government, systems of highways, systems of transportation, and, and other things that are run by artificial intelligence. And as you, you suggest, not with a soul. We, we may become the captives of some sort of soulless technology. Of our own creation. The, those creations do have their limits. I mean, I'm arguing that there's a limit there. Mm-hmm. That, the, that the soul and spirit creatures do not have. Yeah. Because they have a direct path to supreme power, supreme mm-hmm. God force. Mm-hmm. Those artificial material objects 
um, I argue, have a limit on them. And I would say, I would argue that all ET that um, are a, a matter of, of manufactured artificial creations, even if they can, if they can go multi-dimensional, art both sides, which they, I believe, they can. It's not, it's not the same to me as the argument <clears throat> to say I can see. I'm comfortable with prosecuting the case for incarnate existence becoming discarnate existence, having enormous power and ability to do all kinds of things, leading to enormous, unlimited number of discarnates. A number of, of power mm -hmm. that is only representing and adding to that material uh, non-spirit soul mm -hmm. uh, objects mm -hmm. that only represent 5% of everything mm -hmm. and saying that's leading to a God force of some kind. Mm -hmm. Then trying to, I can't prosecute a case that says, I don't have any evidence, Jeffrey, for anything that says <clears throat> that... Um, Artificial intelligence, having uh, uh, you know, artificial consciousness, is going to survive its destruction. Okay, that if you destroy that, and you said like blow it up, or unplug it, or do whatever you can, so you incapacitate it. I don't, I don't see that consciousness surviving. We have lots of reports, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with, of ETs in the afterlife, of discarnate unit humans interacting with uh, ETs, even conscious embodied ETs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In the afterlife, I've yet On to hear ships. a report of uh, yeah. a, a discarnate robot or a discarnate computer yeah, yeah. in the afterlife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And on board the ships, you know, mm -hmm. and, and uh, so... Um, yeah, gosh, there's a lot of uh, abduction uh, stories where where that's been common, and uh, they have uh, freedom to roam the ship. The humans do. Yes. You know, maybe they're not from here, but they they roam the the damn ship. Yeah, and so I I think all the ETs are in the in the same category basically that humans on this planet are is that they serve, and they serve ultimately a god force. Ultimately, they do. But my my position is that AI does not have a consciousness that's going to survive. You can create an artificial consciousness. You could create uh, self-awareness. That, that artificial consciousness is, could be in all, most all contexts the same as a human's. It could simulate a human being very well, absolutely. Except when it comes to that threshold, all of the attitude and the and the emotions. Yeah. Perfectly simulated, mm -hmm. all of the good, bad, and the ugly. Mm -hmm. um, the intelligence easy. Yeah. Uh, the emotions more difficult. Um, but but just the data to, to know everything easy. That's mm -hmm. simple. But the but the the emotions and uh, uh, that's really interesting and tricky mm -hmm. because we're so complex. Um, we're so complex. Interesting to make a software mistake. So, you know, um, I hate smart, stupid houses. I have several, and I've had to dumb them down so they're user-friendly. Because mm -hmm. you're married to your programmer and your technicians <laughs> for your friggin' life on this planet. I don't want any part of that, you know. So I, I try to make them user-friendly, mm -hmm. which they're not, you know, like that. But, it's, but people like techie things and, and all that, you know.
a smart house might be too smart for its own good. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, I, gee, I forgot to flush the toilet. I'm going to take my cell phone and flush my <laughs> toilet. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it can get just really stupid, you know. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, all that, all that is, is, is possible because, uh, you know, the emotional part and, and creating armies of whatever. In the future, you walk into your house and the house will say, welcome home, Robert. You can do it now. Yeah. But the, the thing is that, <clears throat> that, uh, we don't have any any information about other worlds, planets, and how they survived and how they didn't. And that's a big problem, is that we have absolutely, we've never been here before. You know, in, uh, what is this, June 5th, uh, 2023, today's the 5th, yeah. Today's the 6th. It's the 6th, okay, yeah. so I'm going back. Mm -hmm. So it's the 6th today. And... So we've been, never been here before, uh, and the number of people on the planet and the amount of technology that we have, and we're still the creatures we were, you know, 200 years ago or l longer than that. 30,000 years 30, ago. 30,000 years ago. And so um, we're a bit as dangerous, and, and uh, <clears throat> um, but we're, we're missing the key thing that we don't know how other people have survived. I kind of think that maybe yeah, since Ingo Swan, for example, was able to travel to Jupiter and tell the scientists there are rings around Jupiter they didn't know about, maybe through uh, that technology, remote viewing, we could conduct surveys uh, outside our the scope of our telescopes and our even our most powerful telescopes and do sociological research on uh, other planets. Yeah, but there are other there were other remote viewers, mm -hmm. and I know one other one for sure that that, that was told to get out. Mm -hmm. He was really threatened. Yes, it was on a body a lot closer. Well, Ingo Swan has written about uh, visiting the moon and being ejected. Yes, yes. Uh -huh. too, yes. in his book Penetration. So I think there's a limit. Um, how much how how much remote viewing is allowed? You know, I think there's a limit to that. Um, that's a that's a really. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know why scientists aren't just gobstopped by that. To, to you know to because. Uh, that's a that's a, a function of, of a psychic ability that ought to be really intriguing scientists to figure that out. You know, how do you do that? And that's a that's a hell of a white crow. The whole basket of, of sci is white, full of white crows, right? That you can validate, and um, and 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 the biggest one of all is the survival of human consciousness. That's the, that's the biggest white crow of all. Well, and you're tackling that issue and making the public more aware of the research, I think, than any other person has ever done, Robert. So uh, I commend you for that. Well, thanks. I don't, I don't think we're quite. Uh, I, th I think people like yourself, you know, I think the, the truth is <clears throat> people like yourself are doing more than somebody like me because. You, you've been at this for so many years, and you've interviewed so many people, and you have, uh, you have a large audience. I have no audience. You have a large audience, and you have ways of having them communicate with you, and, and uh, you have 140,000 subscribers. I don't have any subscribers. I am nothing. So you, people like yourself, Jeffrey, you know, that, that's, you need to keep doing what you're doing. Because that is other the, the parochial science community 
they're out of the picture. Yeah. You're rare. You are a really rare commodity. Well, it's my honor to be able to share your insights with our audience, Robert. It's been a great pleasure. It's been fun. I really have enjoyed this a lot. And we've got more to go. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for this conversation. And for those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us today. You are the reason that we are here. I imagine that by now, many of you already realize that, in conjunction with White Crow Books, we've just launched the new Thinking Aloud Dialogues book imprint, and our first title is, Is There Life After Death? We've just released issue number two of the New Thinking Aloud quarterly magazine. You can download a free copy at the New Thinking Aloud Foundation website, newthinkingaloud.org.